Welcome to the Voodoo Power Podcast. Welcome to Plates of Pancakes. We're sitting down today with Derek Leonard. Leonard has been the head coach of Rochester High School for 18 years. He has an overall record of 184 and 36. Last year, his team played for the Illinois 5A state semifinals. Coach Leonard's teams have posted eight state championships with five conference championships. His teams are known for winning and winning a lot. They use an up-tempo spread offense that is incredibly tough to master and execute at the high school level year in and year out. With the ability to have his teams continually perform, the Rockets have sent nine out of ten quarterbacks on to play at the next level, as well as numerous wide receivers. Coach Leonard was inducted into the Illinois College Hall of Fame in 2009. While at Illinois College, Leonard established career records for completions, passing yards, and touchdown passes. He is a two-time recipient of the William J. Downer Award and was chosen the American Football Coaches Association's Good Works teams in 2000. So welcome to the show, Coach. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you were able to make some time. I know it's football season for you, so that's always hectic. Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> but it's all good. So how's the season going so far? Good. We're, man, we're, what are we, 5-0 and right now? And um, it's a fun group. It's a bunch of seniors. I uh, got 22, which is a big number for us. And uh, But they're smart kids. You know, they're uh, two coaches' sons on it. My defensive coordinator's got his son, and then my, my O-line coach has his son. And so it's a group that the, my coaches have kind of been with those kids in the JFL. So, man, they – they understand football. They understand the D side, the defensive side of it for sure. And, and um, they're smart kids and they're good kids. And so right now we're, we're the injury bug hasn't got us. We're undefeated and, uh, and they're a good group of kids. And that, you know, they sometimes you, you know, as we all have, you know, winning and losing, but when you do it with good kids, it's fun. And this group is a fun group. Yeah. You know, they're smart on the field. They're also smart off the field. They're good kids off the field. And they haven't given me any troubles. So at this point in my life, that that's the best part. So, <laughs> well, I just got your book that was wrote about you and your dad's kind of half and half, half you, half him. Going through that process and then having that published and then out for people to read. How has that kind of affected your life? You know, it, it was a long process. Really, it was the process before that. I was kind of glad when it came out. Mike Shamus, who's from um, from Springfield, Rochester, he came up to me at a JFL game and. Uh, my dad was about to retire that year before, and he really wanted to write this book. And, you know, like most things, I think, all right, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. And I kind of, hey, two weeks later, he comes back to me, same thing. And so we, me and dad kind of sat down and and listened to his, basically, his um, ideas. And we thought, man, this guy's really done his research. He was from here, so he knew a lot about us. So that was nice. And um, But it was a two-year process. You know, I had no clue what I was getting into I, we said yes. Um, he told us it'd be about two years. Um, but, man, about once a week he'd sit down with us and, you know, and just basically it was kind of fun because you got to relive things, you know, things you really you don't think about. You don't want to think about some things you, you just forgot. And then when you start talking about them. And so um, that that was neat. And uh, but it was a long two years. And, you know, really, I want to do it for my father. My father, you know, he retired. He uh um, I want it for his legacy. You know, I hope mine's not done. I'm, I'm still uh, got a while to go, but uh, it is a neat story. And, and but I wanted it out for him and his, and because it is a neat story. It's a you know, it's a story of um, you know, hey, high school football coach. It doesn't you know, it's uh, it's not flashy at times, but man, it was it's real life, and it's uh, and, and his son who who is now, and we had a coach against each other, which stinks. I'm so glad. I'm glad that's over. And um, so, yeah, long story short, there was a lot of things that went into it. Now it's out. There's some stuff when it's out. You know, hey, like anything, you got you to gotta try to push it a little bit, you know, because we, we wanted to get our money back at least. Because my, my object wasn't to make money. I mean, if, hey, if we make money, great. But I really wanted to get his story out. I mean, that was my goal. When, this, when Mike came to me with this idea, I thought, man, this is awesome for my father, that my grandkids – their kids one day can share his story and, um, you know, in a book, that's pretty cool. So, No, I agree. And a lot of the questions I have on here are probably directly related to the book to a certain extent. That's where I did the majority of the research. I did listen to a couple of podcasts too, to try to round it out and not give the whole book away. So, you know, we'll delve right. into it. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll help get a few more books out there. That's all right. Thank you. Yeah. So Rochester, as far as football goes, it only started in 1995. 
So the strides and the effort and everything it takes to build a football program, you kind of came in as the second head coach. Where was the program at? And I guess it, it was still probably somewhat an infancy, infancy. So how were you able to take it to the heights it went to? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Springfield, first of all, where I, Springfield, Rochester is basically a suburb of Springfield. So I had kids, I, I played for my dad at a Catholic school. And so a lot of my friends even lived in Rochester. So I, and I graduated in 98. I think their first football team was 96, was a fresh JV team. And uh, their head coach, Dave Jacobs, and my dad were good friends. And so once I kind of got out of college, I went to a small town, Prairie Central, and uh, kind of by Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, got a job, got lucky. And we happened to be in the same conference as Rochester. The Corn Belt, which was a lot of that area team, Rochester was, was only in for football. And it was the furthest south by quite a bit, by about 45 miles or so, hour. Most of them are in that Bloomington area. So we got to play him two years, and then, man, Dave got lucky enough to get the Champaign Central job. And, um, man, I was 23. I had two years into coaching. Um, and their D coordinator, Charlie Brown, called me and said, hey, man, you should apply. And I was getting married that year. My, and my family, my mom and dad, obviously, lived in Springfield. Her mom and dad lived in Springfield. I thought, okay, um, and I'll try it. And uh, – Two people turned it down. I think at least one for sure, and, and I got it. God blessed me at 23 to man to get a job in my hometown. The year I was getting married, um, and uh, man, you know, I don't think I I know why I got it. It's because of my last name, you know, and and my goal was to um, at that point take it and say, hey, I can do this, and um, try to come in. And Dave did a great job. Dave really, I mean, took it. He had so many good things set up that I don't think. That when I looking back, I would have had trouble setting up the JFL, the mom, the organization. He had got it. You know, they had wanted love, obviously. We were winning, but man, he was getting it to that that side. He had fought a lot of the a lot of people in town didn't want football. It was like one of those things, 50-50 split. Um, a guy named Steve Taft kind of got football going. And so I kind of didn't have to live any of that. So when I got here, we weren't great, but man, we spread the ball around, got a lot of kids out, and from there kind of just took off and um, like I said, God just put me in the right place, right time. And I mean, it really, I was lucky in a way. I mean, it truly is. It's a crazy story about, you know, like I said, 23 getting married my, and we're from here and we just happened to get that job, you know, and it just, it just worked out perfect. Now you mentioned, you know, that your last name didn't hurt. So being a, being a young coach, your dad cast a wide shadow. How were you able to find yourself and make your way? without pushing too hard, you know, just being who you were and having it work out for you? Yeah, it's a great question. And it was a wide shadow because, and the good thing at that time, which people who don't know, we didn't play each other then. They were, I would say, a 5A, 6A team, and we were a 4A team. So we were a much smaller town, public school. At that time, we weren't even in the same conference as Griffin. And so it was nice. We could kind of, a lot of my assistant coaches, one played with Mick Griffin, coached me at Griffin, you know, was, were my coaches. And so I knew what I wanted to build. I wanted to build, man, you coach how you're coached, right? And, and so I think I learned from the best. And so I tried to mirror so many things that he did, but at the same time, try to do my own thing. And um, what my dad taught me that it was so, you know, you can't do it all yourself. You got to know what you know and what you don't know. And you got to put people around you and humble yourself. And, and, get, and that's what I try to do with my coaching staff. And I think that's one of the good things I did do is there's still people today since day one. I think four of them are still around. And, um, you know, a big part of where we're at today are, is because of them and what I learned from dad. And, and then as things got moving, you know, I, I did try to have fun offensively. You know, I, we did we did spread it around, throw it a lot, kind of were doing some new things. We were very fast, no huddle, very early on. Um, and we're doing some things people weren't doing. And so we were getting some kids out that way. A lot of those basketball player type of kids, even baseball athletes that maybe didn't play before, but they like to throw it around, play seven on seven, do those things. And then as that time went, as we got better and better, then it was, okay, you know, I think people, and I still like to throw it around, but man, I also do whatever it takes to win. And, 
we have a system, but we build our system around our guys. And, um, and like last year, I think we probably ran at 75% of the time. It killed me, but you know, that, that's, that's what we had to do to win. And so, and then 2008, 2009, we decided, Oh, we're going to get the central state eight because the corn belt was so far. And so now it's like, Oh my gosh, what did I sign up for? And at that time, I mean, anyone that knows central Illinois football, SHG is kind of the, they're kind of the standard, right? They're kind of the standard in Illinois period. And, um, for me to be getting that conference and know I was going to play my dad, I was just sick. And, um, cause I didn't think I thought, man, a little, this little town. And I didn't, I, I honestly didn't, I thought we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be lucky to go get five wins in this conference, make the playoffs at times. And I knew I had some good groups coming up, but consistently I was worried at the time. And, um, but we had got the arrow pointed up, got things going in the right direction. Um, and just felt like, you know, we had fun, did it the right way. And, it, man, it took four or five years to really get it going. But once we got it going, obviously, and it was at the perfect time to get in the conference and then compete with the people like that we're competing with today in the Central State 8, which is my father's conference that he was in. Now, you've mentioned it a couple times. So the JFL, not every school has a feeder system like that. The youth is doing something totally different than what the high school is doing or they're progressively too far ahead of where they should be maybe and not getting the fundamentals taught. How was the JFL instrumental in blending into your system and just kind of feeding player after player after player? That was huge. And it was, that was things I'll give Dave Jacobs so much credit for. And the guy he had run at the name guy named Brett Tackett, who was literally on my staff for 18 years, ran the JFL at first with it, but also kind of assisted with us and eventually gave it up. So I've only had two guys Brett Tackett and Kevin Gay, who still does it today. And we were friends. He played at McMurray College and got to know each other. And they've just done a wonderful job of um, just running a good program, right? That he he gets it. They, they both got the big picture. And I tell our guys, I just want kids to come out and sign up for football as freshmen. I want them to enjoy their experience. I want them to be taught the fundamentals of the game, right? The drills. And I want them to enjoy it. I said, you can run, and the seventh and eighth will kind of show our offense, but even that, we don't we don't say, hey, you have to run this, but we show them things that we do. Six to like fourth or third, right? We say, hey, man, do what you do, what you know, which is the best ability. Let Make sure it's fun and make sure that we'll give them some tackling drills and things like that to make sure they follow. And, and our JFL really has flourished, and it has flourished even before I was here. Um, and it's really a huge, as anybody knows, it's such in a, in a small town public school. It is so big. If you're Jeff, if you're Jeff Elshong, usually the high school is pretty strong. The spread offense at high school, like you said, you're running the ball probably more than you want now. You got to have the right players for the job. How are you able to take maybe some guys that are on the fence and get them doing the things you want them to do? Yeah, that's a good question. It, um, you have to make it fun. You can't go out there and say, oh, we're going to spread the ball out and then not throw it, right? And so, and what God blessed me early on with were some special quarterbacks. Will Lunt, who um, was my first three years here, and we weren't very good, but, man, he had, I think he was, I think at one time he was the first all-time in Illinois history. So we were losing, or I, I, we were 500, but we were having fun at 500. And we were throwing it around, and, and we were putting kids in spots where, Okay, hey, you don't like to tackle anybody. All right, come play receiver. You, you block every once in a while. We'll throw you the ball. You run it afterwards, right? And uh, the guys we did like to tackle, hey, we'll put you here. You know, and we try to fit people where they wanted to play. Now, as time went on, they, they, hey, now now it's, you know what I mean? I'm not going to beg you, but you're gonna, we're going to fit you in the puzzle pieces. But then, hey, when you're trying to get people out, man, you just, those basketball players, track stars, guys, you know, there's some guys that, had never played football, man, came out for the first time, and it's like, hey, where do you, how do you fit them best and get them to enjoy it? And uh, it was tough at first, but it was something I realized I had to do to because we had what what football is at high school is it is a numbers game at times, right? And especially where we were going, there's a lot of teams we still play the platoon, we still don't platoon to this day, right? We're still a school seven fifty, and so our kids got to go both ways and so when kids are platooning or they're only maybe three kids but that's huge or when you got kids on special teams we 
those first three years, we, we were winning at times in the first quarter, first half. We would compete with people, and then we'd wear down. And uh, so we saw our problems, and we, we slowly fixed them. But um, I, think I, I think I recruited the track and basketball guys. We had fun with those guys. You know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't put them at guard and say, you got to go block this 300-pound guy. Those guys were like, I'm out of here. Uh, we put them where they, we thought there would be success. And there were some kids we did ask to do those things, but we knew that they couldn't run that fast anyway. So, um, you know what I mean? It's uh, People struggle with that because you, it's team first. And yeah, it's team, but you also got to get kids out and let them enjoy it and have fun. And I think that's what we did with this offense, number one, but then putting them in the right spots to fit them in. As the snowball of success was rolling down the mountain and getting bigger, how were you guys able to just not let it end up engulfing you and taking you up with it? I mean, because when you have that much success and that much pressure, and that's a lot to live with. And uh, keeping your kids focused and, and on task, how hard was that to manage? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I, think, I think being a coach's son helped. And I think I saw – when you're coaching some, I mean, you see so many wins and losses growing up, you know, and, and you're as disappointed as your dad, as my father was in a lot of those playoff losses or big losses and so excited in those big wins. And you kind of learn and we're all like this as coaches and, and with students and athletes, right. In training every year is a new year. And, and so it's, it's how do you retrigger your mind and okay, the next goal and the next, Hey, where are we, where, where are we going? Where are we taking this? Um, and I think being a coach of some was the, was the best doing that. Um, especially with some early success at a young age, you know, and, um, keeping these guys and keeping it going. Right. And then what I found is people just want to be a part of it. You know what I mean? And once you, once you do things the right way and it's built from a good core, which I hope we, we had, it was genuine. It was real. And, um, you know, it's, I think people wanted to be a part of it. So now it's, well, I don't have to go out and beg basketball and track. You know, I love, they want to come out. Not everybody. You still go out and say, hey, man, you'd be a really good football player. But those are things you don't have to do now because people want to be a part of it. People like the culture. People like what we're doing, I hope. Um, but as a, you know, like I said, growing up, that was the biggest thing was you, you just realize it's a, it's the next year. And um, you know what I mean? It's And no one cares what, what in this business, man, they will, they do, they do not care what happened five years ago. They don't care what happened 10 years ago. It's what it was good for my child now, what's good for this team now. And so I got to keep that same process and just say, and as an offensive coach, it's each year, it's something different, right? That's what the beauty of a high school is. All right. I don't got a quarterback this year. Or man, we don't, our line's not very big or how, okay. How do we get around that? How do we fix this? How do we still win ball games? And just trying to keep that mindset of, and always being in, innovative, you know, I, I love that offensively. That is the part I love. I love the schematics. I love game planning and finding new things and trying new things and doing it. And that kept me going each year. And, and so I didn't get vanilla and bland. And um, and I think the kids enjoy that because they're always, man, it's always something new and learning. And so we're not talking about that, always looking for the new thing and always trying to advance it you have to be willing for that not to work just as much as you are willing for it to work. So how do you, how do you manage the ebbs and flows of what's working, what's not working, what may work one day, but right now it's not there. That seems like a lot to handle, a lot to explain to kids and people. If you're not winning, how do you manage all that? I tell people, cause a lot of the times what people see in a game is what probably worked in practice. And we tried they don't see the other hundred things that I've maybe tried and were awful. And, um, you know, you, the kids like that. And I, and, and I take that approach sometimes and say, hey, I'm going to try this. Let's try this and uh, let's see if it works. And so maybe try it. And there's a lot of things that I say after that, even after that day, I'm like, that's okay. That was a good try. That's over. That didn't work. Or, Hey man, I kind of like this. Let's, let's move them back. Let's try this. Let's tweak it. And, um, Sometimes you do that, and then the kids are like, kids even come up with their ideas, or coaches come up with their ideas, and you tweak something, and you're like, man, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Our fast no huddle kind of came from a thing that we started just at the goal line, and it slowly now is to 
how we've done things for the last 18 years. It's the craziest thing, but it's just kind of evolved into that. And, um, but so many things, so many people don't even try it, right? Don't even are scared to put it into practice and then even then take to the game, right? It's, it's, um, I, and I get it. It's tough. And winning helps because I can try some things and not people think, Oh man, he's crazy. And then if you're losing, you're crazy. You get fired. If you're winning, you're crazy. A few times they let you go a few times. So, um, <laughs> I, I tell, I always tell people that because that's true. Um, and so it's just trying and, and being willing to, and that's one thing, man, my dad was a huge influence in my life. He was so ahead of the curve on so many things. And I know the book talks about this a little bit about, you know, he was with her. He, he met with Urban Meyer when he was with Bowling Green when they were really starting and Coach Walker at Northwestern, when they were really starting the shotgun run stuff back in the early 2000s. And when that was really coming out, and he was one of the first few people. Um, and I got to kind of be a part of that when I was playing college and my college coach, Jim Good. Um, so, man, I got so lucky and blessed just to be there at that time when that stuff was going on. Because that's really what football is today, is that option football out of the spread shotgun. And it truly, man, I, I really believe I was there at the beginning. I'm not saying we were, but, man, it was early, early, early in the stages. And from there on, everything kind of built from that. You know, that's where football is today. with kind of the spread and the scheme stuff. So. Yeah, there at the beginning, I don't know if coaches knew if it was going to work or not, but they were willing to take a risk on it. And then now we've, we've seen it definitely involve, evolve into what a lot of schools are trying some more successful than others, but somebody had to take the risk. That's right. You know, and they did, I mean, they did, and they, that's, man, that's exactly right. Some people that thought, okay, I can do it this way. I can still have the fundamentals of these football plays, but do it in a different way, right? It's no different than strength training. It's no different than running track. All these people, the new things you see that is way above me, and that's why I get people to help me with it, is because I see what a lot of these people are doing and how it's affecting Tony Howard, right? You know, all those guys and, and, and what they're doing with the feed the cats and, and so many of these people that are affecting football in a different way, you know, and makes you think in a different way. Kind of what I didn't grow up with and was used to, but you hear it, it's like, that makes sense. I don't know how to do it. Well, how do I implement it? I got to hire somebody and, hey, how do, how do I still do what I do and implement some of that stuff that I truly like? And it's like, man, I think that's a great idea, right? And, and so we deal with that every day, right? Whether it's how we lift, how we run, how we work out, how we practice, all those things. And a lot, most of that stuff goes against everything we did probably as players, right? Just like the salt towns, not drinking water, you know, all the things that everyone said they used to do. Um, you know, you're changing all the time. And so it's what, what do you fit in your program and your system and still be you? And what do you keep out? But a lot of it is trial and error and, you got to be one to try something and, and be different to be able to get, you know, to get a reward sometimes. And we've been lucky enough to do that. And, and uh, I've been blessed enough to have a place and kids uh, enjoy doing that, you know, with what we do. So Now going back to the book a little bit and some of what you were just explaining, you, you come from a very, seems like well-structured house. Your mom and dad kept everything on a, on a pretty tight schedule. You were to be here. You're, if you, you know, it goes into it. Now you're dealing with a lot of kids that don't know any structure, I'm sure. So how do you get them to adapt to what you're trying to teach them a structured system and get them to flourish in that? Yeah, it's, um, that's a good one. It, the good thing now is what you have to, you have to be genuine. I believe this. Well, my mom and dad, well, my mom was, she was the most genuine person I know and everyone says it about their mother but she was as sweet and loving but you knew where she always stood right she loved you but if that was wrong it was wrong if it was right it was right this was going to be done this way but yet I know she always loved me and she cared for me I think with our program I've tried to do that with all my kids and my co everybody you know I try to show them I care for them as much as possible but we are going to do it this way we're going to do it the right way we're not going to cut corners and if, I'm going to punish you if you're wrong, but I'm also going to love you. And um, 
You know what I mean? And so I think that's so important when you're, whatever you're doing, if you, you got to care about the person, getting them in the door by winning these championships, like a short rings and wins that gets them in the door. After that, that wears off really quick. It's they, the, the, the parent and the child really, do you care about me or don't you in the end? And if they, if you show you care about somebody, you can discipline them. You can have those things. So kids that don't have that, I think all kids want structure. That's the beauty about football, right? I think they want it. And it's just, man, do you have it in your program? Are you showing it on a daily basis? The people I've played for in my career that I struggled with the most were the people that I knew who weren't living it themselves, right? That they were struggling themselves. Yes, they would have discipline and practice. And then I knew when they left, they were phones. You know, and that's what was great about my father is I got to see dad and I got to see the coach. And I know that line was the same line. It didn't, it didn't, what he was saying to practice on the field did not change at home. And, and you know what I mean? And my mother was the same way. And so seeing my dad go through that and seeing some things that I do some things different than dad, you know what I mean? It's, it's, but most of it is the same, but I saw him live out his life. And he, he walked his walk and talked his talk. And that that was that, that is as genuine as it gets. And so I tried to, that was the one thing I tried to live by when I started this thing was, man, I got to be genuine. It doesn't mean I'm not going to sin and make mistakes, but I'm going to, man, I'm going to show these kids I love them. And, and But but there is going to be a line. There's going to be a right and wrong. And we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a system we go by and the way we live around here. And, um, I, and I think most kids, want that and one there's a few that don't and the ones that don't hey sometimes you got to cut them off and but most of the kids 95 percent stay around and love it and um doesn't mean they don't make mistakes times too you correct them you love them and and yes then you punish them and you get them back get them back in place you know so it's hard it's like any any right it's it's like a family it's like kids it's it's no different it's just just 90 of them so yeah so that'll uh Without kind of moving to the next question, then it becomes more than coaching at some point. And whether they play for you or not, you've got to be able to make a connection with them to get their best so they trust you to come to you with whatever they may need. Establishing that not only on your football team, but throughout the school. How has that kind of been a gift for you? Yeah, it's, I love it, number one. And, um, and I love that responsibility. That was my mother, I'll be honest. You know, as she was, um, as you're kind of reading the book, man, we didn't have much money, but everybody came to our house. We had this little old house that we stayed to. My dad still lives into this day. And everyone came to our house. Why? Number one, we had the best football field, basketball court. It was always open, the best playground. And my house was so loving. My, my mother was just the most loving person in um, every, it didn't matter who you were, rich, poor, black, white, heavy set, skinny. <laughs> she loved you, and she, she was going to treat everybody with the right way. And now we had rules when you came in the house and you did things. Um, and, and kids are no right. What I learned from her is she wasn't, man, she was as real of a person. She was a kindergarten teacher. And my dad was the same way, but my mother was the best. And, and people just, you know what I mean? They, they want to be loved. They want to be. I like the relationship part more than coaching. I love the X and O's. I love the schematic part. But really, I love being around people and the guys, my coaches, the players. I enjoy that still. And I, I love I love doing that part of it, you know, and being there for them. And it's such a great, because I saw how my dad did things. I, I, I wanted to live that life. And it makes me push my life to be better. You know what I mean? It makes me. It makes me live my life in front of these kids. If I tell them not to cuss, I better try my best not to cuss. And they know, hey, I struggle with that. Because when I get mad, I man, I all of a sudden become a cusser. And I'm yelling and, you know, and I, and so I tell them, and I tell those kids when I have those, man, I struggle with certain things, right? I say, hey, and I let them know up front, I mean, I struggle with this, this, this. And, and man, I, you know, I'm just like you guys. Hey, we all have faults. And, um, and if you're vulnerable and you do that, it's the people, like I said, it's the people who, who say all these things that we're going to have, and they have all these letters and words up there and character and, you know, and then they go out and they're wild people, right? And they, and they don't live it out, but they want you to be like that. That's, we all struggle with those people. And um, so I, I tell guys, it's a great job because it makes you live your life. Right? Now it makes me, I think coaching made me a better parent. 
made me a better husband because I wanted to give all those kids that I've had and I want them to be that picture of, man, coach is a good husband. Coach is a good father. I bring my kids out to the field all the time, right, when they were little. Because I just wanted them to be out there. I wanted them to be a part of it. And I wanted my kids to interact with those kids. Because, number one, they were good kids. And I, and it was kind of a daycare at that. But um, free daycare. Um, but I wanted them to be around my children and vice versa. And I wanted to see. Because that's the life I lived. I was lucky enough to live that life. And kids took those high school players I looked up to took care of me and I saw good influences and and I want I want my players to see those same things from me. Now talking about good influences, it gets into the book and I thought this was a real interesting part of it. But uh it talks about Rick's barbershop and kind of where your that's kind of where your dad found his salvation. But on top of that it was kind of like uh, a community gathering spot for kids and kids would just show up and they just hang out there. What did Rick have figured out that it seems so tough for a lot of people, especially dealing with kids, to figure out? Yeah, it's just the man. This is one you got to read the book because it's just it's a story you can't make up. I I had a, I was on a basketball team. I was talented as a as a youngster, the third or fourth grade. I played up on a fifth grade team. One of the kids on the team was from a foster home. His name was brother um, Philip and. Long story short, he ended up started spending the nights. You know, they come to my house, they play basketball. Then she started spending the weekends. Then she started spending the weeks. Long story short, we adopted him. Um, well, where he got his haircut was Rick the barber. But Rick would cut all the kids at the foster home in Springfield. There's two or three foster homes. Those kids would come and get free haircuts. Well, man, my dad was just really struggling with life. And, you know, I was about 10, 11 at the time. So I didn't know, you know, I didn't know he was going through these rough times. Um, and, um, you know, one day he took film there and, and uh, man, he was, like I said, life was hard. He was looking for something. He was looking for God. He didn't know it at the time, but he was looking for something. And, um, you know, we knew the bishop, obviously, in Springfield, because me being the head Catholic football coach, is they go see the priest, go see this nun, and he did all that. And, man, there's nothing was... Nothing was satisfying him or nothing was fulfilling him. And, uh, man, he takes my brother into Rick's one time, get the haircut. Well, Rick, as we all know, you know, Rick is my biggest Christian influence probably in my life, even to this day. He had no shame. There was pictures of Jesus. There were Bibles out there, you know, and he wouldn't talk to you about it unless you asked. But he, man, he didn't hide it either, right? You knew when you walked in, this man is a Christian. He's a, he's a strong Christian man. And my dad just said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here, but, man, and, and Rick knew, and he says, I'm really struggling. Long story short, he sat him down, and, and they, they had, and then he came back the next day and the next day, and, um, you know, my dad basically became a born-again Christian that, that day. And what I tell people is this. I say, man, as a 10 or 11-year-old kid, and I, had, I understood I've been on the field with dad. I had been everywhere my father. My dad was a good man. And a good father up to that point. It wasn't like, but something that my father changed that day. And it was instantly that as a 10, 11 year old, I was like, whatever that is, I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want that in my life. I knew, you know what I mean? On the football field, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a man, everything about him. I mean, it just flipped and it was, it was, it's something you can't explain. And, uh, so, yeah, that's what Rick did. And, and Rick then did it for me, did it for my family, my mom. Um, I got my hair cut there. Uh, we, went, we started going to church. And it wasn't that we weren't going to church. We just, we went, you know, we kind of went to the Catholic church. And we kind of went when you're supposed to. And you stood up when you're supposed to. You didn't really believe and listen. And, um, you know, that, that's what Rick put in our life. And really it was taking Philip, my brother, who was adopted, going to Rick's and it's just funny how everything's connected and then um, where we're at today and uh, Scott Hansen who's the red zone guy right everyone knows then 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 Scott Hansen was at new channel 20 in Springfield he had covered dad for two years kind of the same thing man was just kind of lost was really struggling life he knew what dad you know was saying and said you know my dad was kind of like Rick at that time three years later no shame kind of you know and Scott called him out of the blue and said, hey, I'm really struggling. And Scott went over and, and met with Dad and met with Rick, the barber. And, uh, you know, now Scott's where he's at. And, um, 
So it's it's just a it's a it's an interesting story. And but again, as a ten or eleven year old, what I saw happen to my father, it wasn't magic. It wasn't you know it wasn't what happened to him instantly, and the change I saw instantly in him was truly amazing. It's something that nothing or anyone else could do but God, you know, and, and um, that, and I was just old enough at the time to truly understand and see that, I think, and see how my dad coached and how my dad lived that, man, that, that that's awesome. Now, I know both of you have been really involved with the FCA, so staying involved with that, helping athletes get to that, your contribution there, how, how has that affected the way you coach and kind of how you live your life? Yeah, it, it's my avenue. And the difference between him, he's at a Catholic school, I'm at a, at a public, right? And so, um, FCA growing up as a kid then was always, that was my church. And it's my church today. I don't always think that's a great thing to say. Now I still go to church, you know, we go to church, but not like we probably should. But FCA is my, right? When you combine athlete, athletics and, and God, and that's that was where I was most influenced. FCA camps, at the weekly FCA things at, at Griffin at the time. And then when I got into school, I knew that was my avenue at a public school to show people who I was. Again, I didn't want to. Yeah, hey, I'll have to tell a kid instantly. Yeah, I, this is what I believe in. This, I'm not saying, hey, you have to, but this is how I I am. Then I have to live my life like it. Then I get to go to FCA and, and truly share those that story, for example, and all these things in my life that I believe and affected me, um, I get to share that, right? And so I get to share my story. I get to share the Lord with kids um, through that organization. And that's why that organization is so special and so big. Because for a lot of people, especially high school kids and young kids, sometimes that is their church. That is their, man, that's their first time hearing God going to a camp, doing those things. Um, whether that's what they want to hear or not, or that, you know what I mean? Or, or it's a seed that maybe comes later. You hear from so many people. Um, but that's my avenue to really be who I am, express who I am. And, and then people know, man, coach is this, whether, Hey, you want to be that or not, you know, where I stand with what I am. And, and hopefully people look at me like I used to look at my dad, mom and say like that instant, like, like that, the barber thing, whatever he has. I, man, it must be powerful and it must be good because I, I, I love how he lives. I love how he lives it out. He's walking his walk, talking his talk. He is who he is. Again, we all sin, but overall, that's who I want to be like. And and so, again, that's just another thing for me that puts pressure on me in a good way. You got to live your life. You got to carry yourself like this as a man, as a father, and as a coach. So, And FCA does that for me. Now, building on to some of that, a little bit in the book, it talks about, uh, the three D's of coaching and level one's pretty easy to get to, you know, but level two, the mental, emotional and motivational confidence that you're building in athletes. And then the third is kind of getting to the heart of the athlete, building character, self-worth and purpose. That's something it seems like that you and your dad both strive for. I'm sure you can't reach every single one of them, but how are you able to reach that third level with some of those kids? That's great. Yeah. And what I was blessed with, and that's what I tell you, you know, that 3D coach has become such a popular book, right? It's such a, and I think just like the strength training world, just like the speed world, just like the football where everything evolves that way, everyone saw, I mean, this is how you truly affect kids and get them to play for you. Well, I was blessed in the early 90s to see it lived out that way. I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't called 3D coaching. But I saw one of the best to ever do it, truly lead like that, right? He was truly cared about each kid and player. Not as a as a football player, he did care. He wanted to win as bad as anybody else. But he truly cared about them as people. And we're talking about the best person on the team and to the worst person on the team. And um, that's what my dad, I think, did the best was he cared for the least of them. You know, he knew how well, important – that's the beauty about football, how important that scout team player was. That was probably never going to play, was never going to start. But, man, he met so much of those kids. Why? Because he stuck it out. He put the team first. Hey, maybe he thought he should play, but he came out there every day and gave it his all. Those are the kids that make it, right? Those are the kids that everybody looks up to. Um, 
one thing my dad's always done that I, I mean, I, I've not, well, we, we've never given out one award, not an MVP, not offensive, nothing. You talk about team, 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 and then you get to the senior banquet and you give out all these awards and everyone's hurt, right? How do you pick out when you've talked about that? How do you, how do you then go and, you know what I mean? And talk about, oh man, team, and then you give out MVPs, you give out, they're going to get, the good ones are going to get enough of the success through the papers, media, and that they deserve it. And every, every banquet, he talked about every senior, he just sat down. And I do that to this day. And I talk about each one for about two minutes just from the heart. And the ones that I probably have the most fun to talk about the most are the kids that play the least. Because those are the kids that give you everything they got. They give you, you know, they never complain. And it never had to do with success or media time or anything like that. And um, that's 3D coaching. You know what I mean? Is loving, loving the least of them and realizing they all have value. Um, and if you're talking about team, let it truly be about team. You know what I mean? And, and those kids are as important. So I hope kids that are coached by me, I hope when we were coached by them, I think those kids truly felt as valued as the All-State player, as the All-State quarterback. They truly felt like, man, coach cared about me as much as he cared about me. You know, did, did I help with wins as much? Maybe not, right? But it, it was my value to him and value to the team even as important. I hope, and I, I hope kids would leave the program because that's what I got from my my dad and my coaching. You know what I mean? What I saw, like I said, late nineties when the three D book wasn't even close to being made. You know, I saw that lived out, and, and I'm just I was just lucky enough to see that, be coached by that, and be fathered by that, and because um, it, it was so important to a team, and, and that's what we try to do now here. Now every coach goes through this because you're all in the same boat. You're going to lose a very veteran senior player. Some of those guys saw four years of playing time, and you're going to replace them with a very young freshman, probably wide-eyed and, and small. You know, how are, how can you meet that freshman where he's at to eventually one day have replaced the senior that you've lost? Yeah, that's a and that's a tough one because in high school it's different than college, right? Because you're not guaranteed. The freshman might be better than the one you're replacing. He might be a lot worse, right? So talent-wise, it's not the same. And, again, it's not changing your standards and who you, what you believe in, right? It's treating everybody the same. And you want to see – that's why senior leadership and leadership at the top is so important. From the coaches then to seniors is you have to demand those kids do things a certain way because that they're not going to – we all kind of get coached the same way. All coaches at least will say they believe right, most of the right things. But then are the seniors living it out? Are the juniors living it out, right? Are they practicing hard? Are you getting on them as much as you're getting on? Are you getting on the best player as much as you're getting on that freshman? And if they, again, if they see that, most of them come along. Now, some of them, hey, it's a struggle. And then you got to say, hey, you got to sit down and say, and most kids, I don't have to do that with. But you guys say, hey, you got to do this, this, this is better. You want to be a great player. If you want to be a part of this program, right? You, this, this is how you got to live. This is how you got to practice. This is how you got to do things. And it's um, and every freshman is different, but it's getting them around those seniors, getting them around those upperclassmen, and then that's when tradition. That's when how you're the expectations of how you're supposed to live and, and be a Rochester football player. You get to see lived out, right? Um, every group, like this, I got a very talented freshman group right now. They're very talented, but they were a little squirrely, right? That people said they had some egos and I just wanted to get them around my seniors as quick as possible. And we actually practiced them with them in the summer. And, and I wanted them to see this is the expectation. You can put that ego away. Our best players working the hardest, right? Or we're yelling at him the hardest. And that's what we're going to expect from you. We don't care again, how talented you are, how good you think you are. This is how you're going to be treated. This is how the program's going to work. This is our expectation. And so hopefully those kids see that. Um, and that doesn't happen everywhere. It's tough, right? I mean, and football is a great sport because a lot of times the numbers are decent, even if you got 50 kids, right? Sometimes in basketball, well, you might not even have a senior. Now you got all juniors and, and that they're not great leaders. And then so now it's carrying down to your freshmen. And that can be a tough thing sometimes. Um, but it's just, I, I think then it's got to come from the coaches a little bit more, but it's great when it's player-led. And I think that's what football does great is a lot of times is they see those upperclassmen 
how they do. And that's when you see the successful programs, I think, is when it, it is truly player-led, senior, junior-led, and those kids want to be like, I want to be like him, and I want to lead my life like him. Now, I'm a Nebraska fan, and when Scott Frost was there, it didn't turn out like Nebraska fans wanted. But early on in his career, he had this really great speech about uh, keeping kids free of uh, the expectation of failure. Go try to make a play. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I heard you talk somewhat very, very similar along those lines. So the question would be giving kids the freedom to fail in a high-expectation environment. You're winning state championships, but you still got to get a kid that's willing to put himself out there, even if it's a failed attempt. How do you get them to play loose and leave it all on the field? Yeah, now that's tough. And because uh, it's one thing to say it, and I love Scott Frost. I thought he, I still think he's a good coach. I think, man, I, I think things go, it's hard at that level, you know. Um, and I think it's hard in Nebraska right now. I really do. I mean, I think, and I think Rule Coach Rule will do a good job, but it's, um, it's one thing to say it. It, it. It's, you have to put them in as many situations as fast because it's hard to put a kid in a game situation and say, Hey, go hit the game winning shot. We're going to throw you this deep ball. Go up and make a play. How do you put those kids in those positions in practice? How do you get them mentally to believe that? Right. And then how do you, how do you play in a style that allows that? Number one, I mentally, I try to show them that I love them. I care. Hey, I'm going to love you no matter what. This team's going to love you. You better give us, hey, you better play with a full tank of gas. Whatever God give you, we want you to play to your best ability. That's all we care for. We're going to love you no matter what. If you ain't playing to your best ability, then we got problems, right? That doesn't mean you're not going to always reach that potential, but you better be striving to reach that potential. Um, then I think style of play, the way we play, as fast as we play, as as scripted as we are sometimes, I think it lets people play without fear. Um, sometimes you think too fast to, to have fear, right? It's uh, how do you get to the next play, right? If you fail, if you mess up a block, if you mess up, how do you get off that play and get to the next one? That's that's truly the, probably one of the biggest and most difficult things as a, as a coach. How do you miss that shot and then be one to take the next, right? Michael Jordan had something that nobody else had, and Kobe had it, and there's a few. It didn't matter. They believed they were going to get you the next time down, right? Um, football, how do, you, how do you, man, that guy's tough in front of you. How, how next play, okay, I got turned off, good or bad. I got to be the next play. And so I think the style that we do things offensively, defensively, and just how we kind of do things, I think, has helped with that. It's not the fixture. That's not the key. There's a lot of other ways of doing it. Um, and then getting, like I said, getting in practice and putting those kids in those situations. Of sometimes, and, and I, I think there's an argument that sometimes I do think making practice harder than a game is the best, right? And I know some people training-wise don't believe that, but I also think there's a mental part of that that is huge. And, and for us, I think being able to do things and being competitive in practice and putting you against the best player, right? If you're number one, I'm going to put you against number two, and then I'm going to put number 40 against number 39, right? And now you're always being pushed with each other, and we're always trying to be competitive. and always try to do there's a winner and a loser. And so when that game time comes, it's just not a huge situation. I haven't been in it. And so that's a, it's a really good question. It's a tough one because I don't think there's a, there's a real answer. Um you try to put all those things together. And then what you got to do as a football coach, there's certain kids I'm not going to put in that position. I'm not going to throw that goal out to, to so-and-so. He might catch the hitch. He might catch the against a bad team. In the big games, I'm going to get the man the football. My One thing, my, my, my dad ran the man offense, and that was get the man the football. And you got to know who the man is, right? And so those people that I'm going to put – you know, they didn't come down and Dennis Rodman didn't shoot the last shot, right? Michael Jordan shot the last shot because um, that's what that's what Michael Jordan was. Uh, Hank Beatty, I go through the list of people that I've had. I knew they were going to get the ball in those situations. So that's the other part is knowing who you're going to put in that time and, and who you're going to get the ball to in that time. And you trust as a quarterback and as a coach. 
Now, I was reading some articles about you, and I guess that that might actually lead into this next question. And some of the articles referring to you as the quarterback whisperer. So, quarterbacks like pitchers can be really mental. How do you keep your quarterback at a high mental level and not just beat himself up after every play? Man, it's kind of, yeah, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of it's what I just said. Um, a lot of it is, I believe, whoever who's ever making those plays or calling those plays, you look at the great offensive coordinators in the NFL, college, a lot of them are connected. They deal with their quarterback, right? It doesn't have to be the head coach. It could be the offensive coordinator. Those two have a great relationship. And the way I tell people is he better think like I think, right? Not always what I say, not always what I do. We better, we better be able to think like it at certain times. By, by certain motions, by certain calls, he knows what I am thinking by what I am calling. Does that make sense? And so you work, since they were freshmen, you work in the summer, 7-on-7, you got to get to that point. It just doesn't happen. And going into to the film room isn't always the best way. Yeah, we're going to do that a lot, but it's going to happen on the field. It's going to happen in the film room, and it's going to happen in a relationship, right? We're going to build that. Then it's going to happen in game and, and seven on sevens and in practice. And I've got to get him to the point where he thinks like me. And um, I knew as a quarterback when I played, that was important because a lot of times I'd come off the field in certain situations. He'd be like, what is that? You know, he said, I, I didn't want that. I was like, I, you know, whether I didn't know what you want or I, I messed up. Right. And, but I realized, and I better be on the same page as this guy because we have to think alike. And in our offense, going fast, spread, no huddle, it's even more difficult. But it's not, and not difficult, it's even more important, right? Because he's got five, six seconds to think, call the play, look, scan, say hike, and then throw it to the right person or the right spot, let's say, um, or make the right decision. And so um, who's ever calling the plays, who's ever the quarterback coach, they, those people got to be, they got to think alike. They got to be able to go, and it it, it it takes time. It takes hard work. Um, I I would struggle with. I think at the college, the where where our systems at now, we'd have a rough time. I'd have a rough time bringing a kid in the summer or in the transfer portal and in, in the and getting him up to speed with what I'm doing right. Now, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? It, I, and I. We've had a few transfers coming, new kids, and it's like they really need a year. I could see, you know, and I could see at college is why that redshirt year is so important because it's like, man, I can't get him. Now I'm handcuffing the old offense because he can't do some of these things and he can't think. So now I got to pull back. And um, so I love in high school, man, when you teach that freshman. Now he's a JV. Now, okay, JV, sophomore level, he's doing that. Now he's up with me. He's gone through three years of it. He knows the system of the offense. And again, he's thinking like a guy. Well, and that has to take a special kid because essentially you're creating an assistant head coach from what you just said. And at 15, 16, 17 years old, a lot of times the wherewithal is not there to make the decisions that the head coach would make. So finding the unicorn, I guess, has become a knack for you. You have to find the, they have to find the enjoyment, right? They have to, you, you'll learn. And most, I, 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 I can't find too many, can't remember too many kids that shied away from that. Now there'd be times two kids would come in and want to be a quarterback, right? Or you'd have a freshman sophomore, the sophomore knew he was going to be the guy, freshman, I'll move position. you know, I can't remember too many times where a kid thought, I'm just going to play receiver running back. That's too hard. You know, most have, at least to this point, have enjoyed that, that grind. Because it is, I tell people, work together a lot, and it's probably the hardest working position from an off-season drops, film, throwing, mechanics, mental, um, you know what I mean? And, and so it does take a different kid, but it um, all my kids have, I'm trying to think almost all of them have been multi-sport. I, I can't remember a kid that was just, I'm trying to, and I, I can't, I bet I, a few of them were three sport. Most of them were two sport kids. 
you want competitive kids that love, right? You want the point guard, catcher, pitcher, you, the center fielder, the track, the, you know, the guy who does all the, does the high jump, long jump, 100, 200, just loves to compete, right? Those kids have what I found love being quarterback. That's what I was. I mean, I don't, I know I don't look like it now. I was the, I was the point guard and the catcher, you know, and, um, I think those are the kids that you like. And like Patrick Mahomes, you look at all those guys, they were great athletes, right? Um, and and they love to compete. They love the grind. They love they love that. And that's I've been lucky. All my guys have kind of fallen into that in different ways, different styles, pro style, you know, um, could run running quarterbacks, you know, and had a kid last year that was 250 pounds. He was our fullback the year before, and he looked like a pulling guard, and he and he was awesome. And I, but he he loved everything about it. He was a great leader. He was a little more downhill run, but man, he was uh, he probably could have went to Big D one and played fullback, I and mean, that's what he was. But he was playing quarterback, had a strong arm. But man, kids loved him. They believed in him, and uh, so they're they're all different shapes and sizes, but mentally they're kind of built the same way. Now keeping kids that are used to success and used to winning, keeping them focused and not just taking the wins for granted. I know you probably preach it as much as you possibly can, but when it comes to action, how do you create that? Yeah, it's, uh, that's a tough one because, um, kids eventually just think, Oh, we're Rochester. We're this, we're, we're going to walk out there and we're going to put on our helmets we're going to win. And, um, and most of the time it's our kids do a great job. Again, it's all those other things have to be more important than the ones and the losses. And that is hard because winning and losing is important. It does keep people jobs. It's what makes people, it's happy. It's from being happy today to being sad today, right? Winning and losing is huge. You have to value the other things. You have to truly value. So first day of summer, my, you know, my thing is I, as a coach, my job is to get each of you to play to your God-given talent, right? You might be up here and I might be here, right? There's no matter what I do, I'm never going to catch you. But if you play just well enough to beat me out, then we're in big trouble, right? Because you're, well, you're doing just enough to be a starter, to be on the team, to get you, you know, right, to do everything. My I need you to play to your God-given talent. I need you to play to your God-given talent. And if we truly preach that and live that throughout the summer, throughout the season, then that is the goal more than even winning and losing, right? Well, I heard, and you guys know you don't like Iowa, probably. Ference, you know, and uh, and I, you know, I heard no, not and not so much Ference. Who is God? It's terrible. Who is the Nebraska famous coach? Nebraska's or uh, Iowa's? Nebraska's, no, Nebraska's. Uh, Os- Tom Osborne. Uh, Tom Osborne. Yeah, Tom Osborne. I heard. You know, he was huge. Ron Brown, who was an assistant, and I always heard him tell the story of, you know, they beat. I forget who they beat. They beat like UCLA with um, Troy Aikman. But they played not that good of a game. And he was a young coach, and he was so excited and excited that they won. And, and they came in there, and all the coaches were kind of, you know, down the dumps. And he's like, what's wrong? We just won. And Tom Osborne said, hey, we, yeah, we didn't play to our best ability. We didn't do a great job coaching. We, our kids didn't do a great job playing. And I think that's where we're at with our program, which is a good thing. And that's where, obviously, Coach Osborne was at that time. Right? You're talking about national champions and, and things like that. Uh, our job as coaches is to get to our people to the best of their ability. And yeah, we won, but man, we didn't play good winning, but like, Hey, there's some teams where we're going to go out there. And even if we play terrible, we still could win by 20 or 30. Right. Um, but that's not our goal. Our goal is we want to play the best of our ability game in and game out. And if you, and if you truly focus on that, which is so tough, that it is a tough thing, right? If you truly focus on that, the wins and losses will take care of themselves in the proper way. But then the kid truly knows, yeah, I, I might, the next film day, we might have won by 30, but I'm in there going nuts because your effort and we, man, and a lot of times it's my fault as a coach, right? I was too easy on the week. I let bad things, even though we were winning, I let bad habits continue. 
and let bad things continue. And then all of a sudden it bit us. And now I'm yelling at you, even though I allowed it to happen. Right. Um, you know, great coaches, you either allow it to happen or you are the cause of it happening. Right. It's as a coach, you got to realize that it's usually one of those two things. And, um, so I know that was a long answer for that, but it, it is truly what I think we try to live by here of, yeah, we want to be state champs. Yeah, we want to be conference champs. Those are our goals. And unfortunately, it's a goal here now that we can't escape, which is sometimes tough. And it's you make it to the semifinals and you lose, and it's kind of a failure to these kids, which is awful because I know it's not. Um, so that part's tough. But if you truly say, hey, we lost the semifinals last year prior to one of my dad's best teams. We probably weren't as talented, but our kids played out of their mind. I told those kids I was probably more proud of them than any state championship team or any team ever uh, because of how they played. And, yeah, we didn't we didn't pull it off, and we probably blew a few things, but, man, I was truly proud of where they played. And I preached that all year up to that point, and so – and I know they don't feel like that, right? And especially after that, they don't feel like that. But that's how you get a culture and a tradition going is when you're looking by that, right? Because there's a lot of – High school is like, you know, if Nebraska plays, you know, Division II, Nebraska, wherever, Lincoln, and, you know, the NAI school, they're going to beat them, right? That's going to be a win on the in the win column. It's, it, it's how you play, and, and that's life, right? That That's from strength training. That's from class. Um, you know, getting those kids to be the best you can be every day and doing it. And it's corny sometimes, but, man, that's – I truly believe and then I'm going to coach the least and the best the same way. And I'm going to try to get them to their God-given talent. All right. Now, I know you're in a volleyball game, so I'll start wrapping it. I'll start wrapping it up here. But uh, losing to win, we'll just kind of keep going with the wins and losses here. But uh, sometimes a loss isn't as bad as what people may view it. So taking the losses, turning them around, and creating a winning culture from that. Sometimes the best things I've ever, I go back and I can, I can point it to you. I promise the losses more than I can the wins. It's not even close. Number one, you find about, find out about culture. You find about who's in your, who's got your back. You find out about who's who in the losses. You know what I mean? You find out so much more losing than you do winning. Now you don't want to lose all the time, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that at all, but you truly, um, you find out more through hard times than you do good times. You find out a lot more through losing than you do winning at times, right? Because one thing, like I said, we just talked about it. You're winning. You let things go. Everybody's happy. Man, every, everybody everybody got in the game. Every parent's happy. You know, the administration's happy. Everybody's happy. Losing, now Johnny didn't get in. Mom's mad. You called a bad game. They're talking about you on the radio. You know, and you all of a sudden now you find out the coaches, the players, the administration, the community, you find everybody who's all in. And I can point to all of our big losses and I can say, man, that when I look back, that was a huge motivation or that was a huge stepping stone to something else. Some people, it's where the, the ship sank. And that's unfortunate, right? Because um, you didn't have everybody stop rowing the boat. They, got, they jumped off. Um you know what I mean? Because, man, people really weren't in, and you thought they were in. And so, But for us at Rochester, right so far, I could point you in those losses, and um, I could say, man, it really started things in, in an upward fashion. Just like a last year's semifinal game. Those kids played great. And what, the, what my kids now want to succeed, for those seniors, for the things that didn't happen, and, and they now, hey, they want to prove, man, we we want to be there. We want to be state champ. We want to be this. And um, lo losing just like hard times. God said it, it, not everything's going to be easy. He's going to put things. He's not going to challenge you too much that you can't handle it. But there are tough times. He's going to build you up. And there's no difference in a team. In anything you do, tough times get you stronger. And it's coming to all of us. It's just a matter of what and when. And losing is a big part of that for kids in, in high school and, and, and all ages. So. There was a, a story in the book, and I can relate to it, so that's why I was kind of went to these line of questions coming up next. But uh, the town team 
last year they lost in the state finals over in Columbia. So they come up a little bit short. A week later, all them underclassmen are in the gym just hard hard after it. They don't want that to happen again. They they felt like they left something over there and they want it back. In the book, you talk about the 2009 class, the juniors went straight into the weight room after they lost. Seeing that, watching that develop, but not getting in the way of that, letting them find it, create it, and you just nurture it where it needs to be. How much effort did that take on your part? Just not overdoing it. Yeah, it was hard because I'm smart enough to realize I need a month off. You guys need a month off, right? Because it's Thanksgiving. December's like, you know, we all need to get away. We need to get away from each other. I know that. They don't know that. So when we lost that game, kids were like, nah, we're not taking a week off, coach. And I'm like, guys, you know, we got to, you know, I'm trying to talk some sense into them. Monday, they're all in there. And I thought, all right. And that's when I knew we had something special. And I knew we were going to be pretty good anyways. But that really, like you said, losing, it's like, uh uh-oh, right? Um, Rocky lost to Apollo the first time. You know, (laughs) he's ready the next, you know, and and that's what it felt like. like. And so how do you get out of the way and say, I need a refresh, right? How do I go about doing this to say, all right, I'm going to open this. I'm going to get the weight room. I'm going to tell, I got Andrew now, Coach McGackie. I got these guys, and I didn't have the men. Hey, go ahead and open it two days, so let's get this thing going. You know, let's let's start things earlier than we were going to. And I told kids, hey, you don't have to come in here. If you want to take a month off, take that. If you're playing basketball, play basketball. If you're getting right, if you're wrestling, injured, man, please. And, it, and they showed up, and they were ready to go. And uh, so it's kind of like, hey, how do you – and my coaches, I say, hey, guys, get out of here. Because, guy, you know, adults, they know, man, we got to get away. You know, it's, it's, they don't get paid enough. They got families. And, um, but man, how do you also, like you said, how do you nurture that and say, all right, let's go, let's strap it on. We're going to do this next year. So it's carrying those two things of being, being a head coach and saying, I know I got to get away. I know these kids need to get away some. I cut off all Christmas break and I, I found breaks in other places for them. Um, but still trying to, like you said, nurture their aggression and their excitement for the next year. Well, Coach, the book was amazing. The conversation was amazing. I appreciate you taking some time. I know this time of year is crazy hectic for football coaches, so that you would stop what you're doing and come on the podcast means the world to me. So thank you very much. No, I appreciate you having me on. That was uh, was fun. I enjoyed it, so I don't get to be too many of these. So this was fun, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, good luck the rest of the season, and uh, hopefully you're back to state finals. I hope so, too. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.